Hello and welcome to SoFarscape. A fun-filled Farscape fancast by our fervent fans. And a frankly fascinated first, no, fr- frankly flabbergasted first-timer. <laughs> I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And this is Story SoFarscape. How would you like my, my God, Bugs yes. Bunny impersonation? <laughs> it sounded more like Porky Pig, but yeah. D- yes, okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> hey, everyone, it's finally happened. We've gotten to Season 3, Episode 16, Revenging Angel, and Kay finally knows why this podcast cover art is the way that it is. Right, yes. My first words I blur believe, like, oh, so that's where it comes from. <laughs> okay, I've been looking forward to this for so long, to sharing this with I you. I can well imagine. I mean, this is definitely the fun-filled part of the uh, podcast after the, the drama we had last episode. Yeah. It's like, okay, let's turn this upside down and uh, do something entirely a, off the cuff. What a wild swing. Like... I remember seeing this for the, and I I was so baffled I couldn't even enjoy it almost. What was the the fan base response to this? That's what I want to know. It was wildly divided. Like <laughs> some of them felt that the, you know, the the extreme drama of the previous episode was yeah. was betrayed by this sudden tonal shift and especially after like scratch and sniff yeah. which was also wacky, but kind of, you know, had to be uh, massaged yeah. in post. So mm-hmm. it was kind of, oh, uh, it wasn't exactly as the way that it was intended. And oh, was, were the words jumped the shark used? Not that I've ever seen, thank okay. God. But I don't move in uh, in circles like that. <laughs> and then there's also, I mean, it's it's genre defying. It's, it's expectation breaking. It's so, so bold. And it still kind of works. It does, yes. So, did we say the name of the episode yet? So, yes. Oh, yes. You did. Revenging, Revenging Angel. Angel. Yes. In and which, let's see what our listeners had to say about this. I cannot. A lot. I cannot wait. Oh, a this, very, very long. This yes. is going to take a while. All right. Here we go. Lion King. Be prepared. MPG. Thank you, Bostitch. Yes, Bostitch has had that in there for I think two and a half years. <laughs> Wow. As soon as I opened this form, uh, our friend Bostitch was uh, was in like a shot. Okay. Things are literally starting to go Looney Tunes for the gang on Moya. Nuff said. Thank you, Kevin V. Farscape makes Looney Tunes when Dargo puts Crichton in a coma over a disagreement. Much slapstick comedy to come as Crichton dreams about how to handle Dargo. Thank you, Billy Roberts. Ooh. In this episode of Fruney Tunes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Reference to uh, uh, Ricky Manning, a.k.a. Uh, Frunium, over on, uh, on mm. Twitter. Uh, a ship threatens everyone, a character takes a long nap, and it turns out that Tentacles, oh, very good, yes. even has a little accent over the E, that Tentacles has nine lives. Is revenge a dish best served with slapstick? Asked Matthew B. Er, what's up, Dargo? <laughs> Be very, very quiet. I'm hunting Omen. Because you know what's better than a wabbit? Ooman. I thought I thought Ooman. I did. I did. Kill the Ooman. Kill the Ooman. I did. I did. I did. Well, I guess that's all, folks. Thank you, Vixter. Okay, so that's a little bit of Porky Pig. That's a little bit of... Tweety. It like kind of went all over the place. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Who framed Roger Rabbit meets Baywatch when a natural-born loser starts fantasizing? Thanks, Lucy. Oh, she paid attention. Ooh, and self-destruct spinning blades and 16-ton weights. It's human season in this rabbit-brained caper with the Acme Corporation getting a new client. Elaborately painted wormholes and tentacles getting run over by USS Enterprise. NCC 701, no bloody A, B, C, or D. Thank you, Tonks. 
Oh, excellent. Meep, meep. Buckets where buckets bear traps and banana peels can't keep wild E. Cardargo nice. away from our Roadrunner. A Gene Roddenberryan surprise guest star is the least bizarre occurrence on this loony adventure of betrayal and forgiveness. Oh, thanks, Adam T. Actually bringing us back around. Yes, I mean, that kind of sums it up. I guess that was it. That's the story so far. No, wait. <laughs> I mean, everybody, we all focus on the, on the cartoon, right? On the cartoon aspect, because yes. that's wild. And so this, this time around, my memory is all over the place for this episode, whether mm-hmm. I liked it or not. And even while watching it, watching it again, it was kind of tricky because it is such a, a wild tonal shift. And does it completely mesh? Does it, does it fit with our expectations? It, it goes sort of all over the place. But it's got this core of dead seriousness, Mm. Right, same with uh, uh, a scratch and sniff. Very, very deep down, it is dead serious. And then all this zaniness is wrapped around that that core. There's this conflict between John and Darko. Yes, but that conflict only exists in John's mind. So here's where I'm appreciating a lot more. I'm looking back now at Scratch and Sniff, where it was already set set up. Yeah, that this bickering between between John and Darko has been has been set up as a a growing concern. Mm-hmm. But I think that maybe it didn't land with me the, the the first time, and maybe also not with you, perhaps. Yeah, because it was played for laughs in in Scratch and Sniff, mm-hmm. and so I wasn't really feeling the the really gradual escalation of these people who were like they're going stir crazy, right? It's it's, yes. it's cabin fever. Yeah. Uh, even though Moya's got a lot of cabins. I mean, we again get to see how enormously huge Moya is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but again, I agree with you that uh, there has, has definitely been an escalation in the, uh, or at least a building tension between Dargo and John. But other than that little burst of Dargo when he first thinks that John did something to the ship and damaged it. Everything else, all other interaction between John and uh, Dargo oh, is yeah, of all in John's head. So it's yeah. only what John thinks that Dargo is going through, doing, and uh, sticking with. Yeah, because it's the last memory that he has of, of right. Dargo, which is just growing more and more and more enraged. So, yeah, he doesn't know that Dargo is regretful yeah, and self Yeah, feeling really bad about it. That he, yeah. Okay, so how are we going to do this? I mean, I guess... Because we're already delving into how we are... Uh... Hey, you can just press the button. Okay, hit it. No, you. Oh, I have to press the button. Yeah. Okay, I'll press the button. It's fun, right? So, it is. <laughs> and we do get we, we do start with a nice burst. Because like, I'm thinking, like, oh, wow, they blew all, the entire budget for the episode just even before they uh, have the credits. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking was happening well, here? Well, I mean, the whole uh, the whole shot of Dargo's little ship. Dar- Dargo's little... T- okay, I'm going to start referring to him as Lieutenant Dargo. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Believe it or not, I'm actually getting better at controlling this thing. How did you say you figured this out? Well, much trial and error, actually. Yeah, it's impressive. Well, I haven't had much else to do. Uh, uh, yes, the uh, the growler, as the as the crew called oh, that's it. Cute. Yes, you've got the prowler and, and the, the growler. growler. Yes, this unnamed mysterious ship that Which has turns out to be Luxon. Yeah, right. Yeah, that we that we haven't had a name for that was sort of brought on board on Dargo's insistence back at the commerce station three hundred three sons and lovers. Mm. I think that was three hundred two even. 
But yeah, we opened with the ship going like, oh, uh, having a little fly around, and I'm going like, oh, this looks nice. Uh, Dargo's apparently like trying to learn hover control, showing off to John. Uh, control that- is generous. Yeah, but I mean, he's like, it's basically when he's trying to learn how to fly a helicopter. Like first, like they take you up there, and then the hardest part is like, like yeah, now, now try to fly it and keep it steady, close to the ground. And just like, because then every mistake you show, when you're up in the air, high up in the air, you don't like see or oh, feel every wobble. Right. The trick is being able to do that close to the ground. Basically, hover taxiing. That's the hardest part of flying a helicopter. It sort of reminds me of a dream that I had in my teenagers, mm. teenage years, which is when I realized that I probably needed to get some creative outlet or something to let this out of my brain. And in this in this remarkable dream, I was cycling. I was riding my bike to the local swimming pool mm-hmm. and about to turn into the uh, the small car park. But the small car park was already occupied by Darth Vader and a bunch of stormtroopers and two Tie Fighters. And okay. I I grabbed one of the Tie Fighters. I climbed inside, but I could only control it very poorly. Yes. So I could only get it to hover just a little bit above the ground and like the, uh, the the sort of side wing panel was scraping over the ground and throwing throwing sparks all around. And Darth Vader chased me on a moped. With okay. The, with his cape billowing behind him. An image Dashing. that haunts me still. <laughs> but yes, that's that's kind of the level of control that Dargo has, and he's very, very pleased. Yes, because it, apparently it's the fourth time that he's been able to do this, but something goes wrong. It takes time to learn to fly. I know you've been practicing on the no, ground. But... Hang on! <laughs> Controls go haywire, the ship bumps into the deck, and I'm sitting there going, oh, it's going to take the DRDs a few days to buff the dents out of the uh, uh, decks again. Uh, That'll buff out. Dargo is immediately incensed at John because... He's furious. Yes, he's been, I've done this four times before, and not a problem, and now you're on board, and everything goes wrong, and you must have done something. Uh, and while he's ranting, because because John goes between, like, apologizing and then standing his ground and yeah. then saying that he and actually then, didn't uh, do anything... Uh, 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 Excuse, excuse me, uh, uh, there's something behind you. And, like, that's actually already where it starts a little bit with the slapstick cartoon comedy. Oh, yes. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> yo, easy, man. Remember what the doctors John, say about how I have nothing. Nothing. I have no wife, no son, no home, nothing. I have been forced to Darn manufacture Darn distractions in shit. order to live. That ship Look, is all no. I have. Sabotage my frilling ship. You don't know this yet at this point, but it's it's that typical like him standing there slightly wide out, like going like no 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 you really there's oops, something oops, it's behind it's, you there's something actually important going on. I'm not trying to distract you here, and Dargo's not having any of it. But. No, but he's already moved on to like really bearing his soul mm. because he says I have nothing. Yeah, you know I have I have I have no 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 lover. I have no child. I keep having to manufacture distractions for myself, and you're ruining them for like this is the the, the 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 sort of tiny little thread that he's hanging on to. Yes, being able to work on the ship. Yeah. And I thought that that was remarkable for Dargo to be so expressive about his feelings and his needs. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I haven't but, considered that last part. Yeah, but only in a moment of, of this extreme rage can he actually communicate because that's what he, that's what he needs and he seems to know it. In, in, in all honesty, up until now, he's always had something to strive for. First, it was like... Finding Jothi, then there was a relationship with uh, Chana, and that fell fell apart. And uh, yeah, and yeah, now he's basically got nothing to do, and yeah, emotionally nothing to to strive towards, I suppose. 
Yeah. And that makes it, uh, yeah, I know, it's very good, very good insight there. So, yeah, he makes, he, he actually ends up shoving John back into a start pile of crates. There's like more gratuitous slow mo as John gets knocked over and the ship behind them suddenly starts doing weird things. The, 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 the energy field sort of ripples. Comes back on and it goes into full on disco mode. <laughs> Uh, it's a really cool look. It is. So I'm thinking like, okay, so that's like, I wonder what's going to happen to the rest of the episode because they clearly blew a lot of the budget on this. Interesting. They they kind of made it work a lot because I think they sort of, they they lifted the, uh, the growler itself on a crane. Yeah. I think. It's the Stark crane, I suppose. And that's about it. Moved it about a little bit yeah, and uh, a, a little put, bit of CGI. Put the smoke machines into overdrive. Yeah, they still had those left over from that um, jungle I mean, they, planet they, that they was completely convincing. They must have smoke. They must have a contract with the smoke machine. To, uh, <laughs> if, uh, you want to test out a new one? Yeah, bring it on. <laughs> like, you, know, you know what they say. Any machine is a smoke machine if you operate it wrong enough. So just like... <laughs> hey, speaking of machines, they've got a new one in sickbay. Oh, yes, the brain monitor. Pilot. Pilot. I'm sorry, Jules. As you can understand, I am. Yeah, yeah, been... he's not good. There's some blood in his skull and some swelling, and he's barely breathing. Did the power cell in Zan's diagnostic scanner activate? Anything on its own power source still works. Yeah, because it's apparently one of Zan's devices, says yeah. uh, says Pilot. And this is where we discover that uh, Jules is operating that to uh, scan Crichton for, for signs of life. And this is where we discover, like, the rest of Moya is largely shut down. Yes, because apparently what the growler did was send out some sort of pulse signal thing which shut down or broke every electrical conduit in Moya that was currently in, it was in use at the time of the pulse. Like the equivalent of an electromagnetic pulse? Sounds presumably. like it. But although uh, Pilot later on says that the DRDs will have to rebuild it all, so that sounds like a lot of effort. Yeah, or at least wire. Right, yeah, but even then. You know. Yeah. Uh, Jules sticks some washers with some other blinky, domey stuffs onto uh, John's head uh, <laughs> to help the machine make readouts. An actual flat screen. An actual flat screen with a, with a uh, CGI yeah, readout. I suppose back in 2003, I guess, they were filming this. 2002, I want to say. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was really hot. I don't... I don't know, but I don't think that we've seen screens like this on Moya before. We had the, the CRT, but for the rest, we've mostly had holograms yeah. and generally just little blinky lights. But things are not looking good. He's got blood in his skull, is what she's been able to determine, but yeah. there's not a lot else she can do Brain for him. Brain pressure rising. What does look good is Pilot, because Pilot looks amazing in this episode. He is Throughout. so expressive, so yeah. beautiful. You know, good-looking guy like you shouldn't be getting around in a pile of old junk like that. I have it written down as well. And, like, the director, Andrew Prowse, he's a known quantity. He's a regular now on Farscape. But he found all these really fun new angles for, for Pilot. Mm. In particular, as uh, Dargo and Chiana are bickering their way into, uh, into Pilot's den, there's all these shots where Pilot is behind Chiana. While yeah. she's while she's addressing the camera because the uh, because Dargo is behind the, the the camera, and there's just like compressing Pilot's face behind her and having him speaking. It's just such a such a powerful image because mm. he's huge. He is. He's, he looks even bigger like that than he normally does. Really, when he's like closer by. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I guess that's just the moon at a distance effect. You know the. Oh yeah. He, because he is big. If you're standing closer to it, then it looks still looks big. But if yeah, if you do that focal length effect, then uh, yes, because big things shrink slower. 
Right. As yeah. you as you walk farther <laughs> away from them, generally, yeah. Yeah, this is where there's a lot of acrimony. Chiana is being unfair toward Dargo, blaming him far more than he's, uh, than he's actually responsible for. And he responds by... Me! It wasn't me, it was Crichton! Oh, so you tried to kill him? I didn't try and kill him, he slipped! You're pathetic. You really are, and we're all gonna die because... Uh, Tossing his sword. Yes, he throws the toys out of the pram, or basically... He <laughs> like any teenager. <laughs> he throws his sword down into the bottom of Pilot's Den, the, the, the central column, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, it's a big, long column with lots of catwalks. Cardago! Oh, quilter blade! That was mature. Real mature, says Tiana. And yeah. that's the end of Dargo's quilter blade. <laughs> yes. His treasured cultural Heritage artifact. Heritage thing, yes. Pilot is still kind of upset with everybody. Uh, they need. <laughs> He's been doing that a lot recently. Moya and I. 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 Moya and I would like a word. Moya and I. Moya and I. Moya and I desire time away from your constant bickering. Moya and I. Hard to think. No, now that he's figured out how his eyebrows work, he's getting a lot of mileage out of them. Jules gets replaced by Harvey, although it's all in John's mind's eye, of course. What did you think of these scenes? Because this is the second layer of this episode. Right, that's, yeah. I mean, it's something we've been seeing before. It's like Harvey fighting for his own life by making John fight for his. Oh, yeah, good uh, point. And again, uh, although somehow I'm not quite sure where this comes from, but basically Harvey tells John to focus on revenge. 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 He must take yeah. revenge. Revenge! I don't know where that's coming from, but... Apparently, that's what Harvey thinks is going to make John keep his mind together the most, or at least be able to. Interesting. Now, think about uh, uh, what we've seen of Scorpius. Think about Incubator. Mm-hmm. What do you think Scorpius's relationship is with with revenge? I don't, honestly don't know, because I, I thought he w- he would be all about that, but then he goes and does something petty like kill the doctor on the ice planet who implanted him with his cooling device. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not entirely sure about that. I mean, well, normally, I, yeah. I, 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 that might have been a little bit uncharacteristic for him because he is... That's a really good he is point. Wilf- he is willfully cruel, but generally not without a purpose. Yes. Like, the worst that, that Toko did was, uh, I, th- I think he even says, you no longer serve a purpose. Mm. Oh, I am so sorry to disturb the uh, sterility of your theatre, but uh, you no longer serve a purpose. And is that apparently enough reason to kill someone? No, because, like, you know, a doctor like that might come in handy some for some other purpose later. It's like... Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't go around killing anybody else who doesn't serve a purpose to him, so it seems weird. But, yeah. Well, um, uh, but let's stick with that for, for a second, because I think it's a really important one. He was raised on the idea of, of hating Sebations. Yes. And then he made a career out of hating Scarrens, each of whom he blamed... You know, first falsely for his misery. Yeah. And then, you know, fairly Honestly, yeah. for his misery. So like, he's, he's, he's motivated out of revenge against the Scarrens mm. we've seen so far. Yeah. But Harvey is motivated mostly by staying alive. Biting my tongue, I'm not going to sing it. I <laughs> promised myself I wouldn't sing it. <laughs> These scenes look really weird because the camera's quite still. The lighting's quite plain. Everything is well lit. Well, something that's not plain is John's shirt. I mean, 
<laughs> he's in he's in a plaid button up shirt and jeans. He's I wonder where that came from. I guess it's like his at home clothes or something. Right. This is Clark Kent. Oh, is that it? Well, oh. no, I mean oh, okay. but this is what Clark Kent I mean, dresses this, like at home. Right. I, mean, I mean he's from cuz this is like chock full of references to other movies. Mm. Uh, not just like the Looney Tunes, but there's so many other movie references in this episode. Well, there's always been a you know, an Alice in Wonderland kind of Kansas yeah. vibe to it. It's <laughs> not Kansas. And you're way too homely to be any um but... but yeah, arguments between Harvey and John, and Harvey claims, like, oh, you're not strong enough to banish me anymore. And true to his word, John does not put him back in the dumpster. But no, he <laughs> turns him into a cartoon version of Scorpius. Is that a challenge? <laughs> How did you? Uh, uh, Looney Tunes. And oh. I thought this was amazing. I thought this was really well done. Tell me. Like, okay, I'm trying to figure out which style this is. Who this? Who Scorpius is meant to kind of resemble? Which space alien is it? Is it just the Looney Tunes version, or is it more a? Uh, this is really valid, because for all of these characters, they went through se- several iterations. Now, this is absolutely brilliant that Scorpius, who has the two sort of domes over his ears, Toon Scorpy has corks, corks yeah. which is so great, <laughs> keeping, his, keeping his brains in. So when the actors went in to do these lines, they didn't have images of what they were going to look like yet. No. So they were just told, like, be yourself, but more. Yeah, try to be a cartoon cartoon version of yourself. And then much, much later, the animation came in because this was... I mean, that's how the, you do it. You, yep. you always record the lines first and then you make the animation fit because it's so much easier getting the mouths to uh, line up with existing lines and sound oh, yeah. than it is the other way around. And then they line it up with the audio and they realize that is not nearly enough. It needs to be much, much more. Everybody back into the booth, Yeah, back into the booth. And they went through a bunch of these iterations to figure out the style that they wanted. And mm-hmm. Chuck Jones of uh, Looney Tunes fames and, yeah. and uh, right uh, was a huge inspiration to David Kemper and Andrew Prowse, who considered themselves like scholars on, on the sort of Looney Tunes generation of, uh, okay, yeah. of art. So that's definitely what they were going for. You can see a lot of like Yosemite Sam in Dargo in particular. And the Farscape visual companion for season three, it doesn't have much of an entry on this episode. No. Instead, it refers to, please move to the chapter Scripts to Screen, where you can get like a multi-page expose about the process of bringing this to life. Oh. Because one of the reasons that they were able to, and don't... Don't go too far in that there book. I'm no. taking a little bit of a risk. I, that's I'm, I'm just like I'm just looking at. You can yours. go like two or three pages. I okay. Think. Yeah. Okay. They found out that they actually had a connection to an animation house. Guy Gross, the excellent composer since season two, mm-hmm. his parents run Yoram Gross Animation Studios, the the, the the largest animation studio in Oceania. I think that's the right term. Yeah. But so in Australia and New Zealand, and I think in a, in a lot of like Southeast Asia, that isn't covered by Korean or Japanese animation, goes through Yoram Gross. So they had access to lots of artists. They had a bunch of artists give these designs, including someone who I believed worked on uh, Ren and Stimpy, who had a much more, well, realistic isn't really the word, but I guess figurative and less idealized version. Right. Well, you see that a lot in Scorpius. Especially, right. especially Scorpius. That's why I was like trying to figure like what, oh, good what style it was in that. Uh, like... He's got that Stimpy mania, doesn't yes. he? Yes. 
with John as the Roadrunner and Dargo as the Coyote. But he acts more like Yosemite Sam, but what he does is more Coyote. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Wiley Ka Dargo. Yeah. Um, uh, not that Wiley, but yeah. So while Scorpius is uh, advocating for revenge... Take revenge, John! Cal-El <laughs> Crichton drops a... Yeah. 16 ton weight on him or 10,000 a thousand, a thousand tons yes brilliantly integrated into the into the scene some significant compositing was done here that the studio oh i forget what the animal logic mm. animal logic had to turn out in no time flat because this came together at the at, at really the last minute there were there were days to go before the episode aired when oh, the uh, some of these animations came back yeah it was really tricky but it was a lot of fun for the creators cuz like david kemper he had wanted this since, like, uh, a human reaction or won't get fooled again, like, around that time, realizing just how wild Farscape could get. And they realized they couldn't do both won't get fooled again and, you know, a cartoon episode in the same year. So they were really glad that they had the opportunity to come back and do that later. Because they really do a lot of good mixing of live acting and animation. Yeah. Not, not quite on Who Framed Roger Rabbit level, but the scene with the pencil was, like, pretty damn good. Yeah. And it's a really weird kind of juxtaposition because the scene's on that second layer, and the animation is the third layer, right? And the second the second layer, which is John's headspace, they're really plain. Everything's overlit. You see far fewer shadows. Mm. The camera isn't moving much. It looks like a movie set. But it's a good look for Pilot. You know, the, the lit from above a little bit with his dome shining. He's got, like, lights coming from the top and lights yeah. coming from the bottom, and you can actually see the back of his den. It's a good look for him. It, like, it really shows off what an amazing amount of detail there is on that puppet. Oh, agreed. Like, my favorite look for Pilot was probably in... Uh, Farscape Undressed, the sort of documentary oh, where we saw him. yeah. Pilot, we're on TV. Oh, I can't remember what you wanted me to say. Which was just filled with video cameras, and when he appeared there, he looked so, so real. Sup, dude? How you doing? You're dying. Yeah, yeah, Dargo tried to kill me. Perhaps an overstatement. Well, same net result. Is he an enemy you wish to harm? Oh, man, I don't even know why we're fighting John has an argument with Pilot about what to do. Pilot advises him to just let it lie, I believe. Run away. Moy and I find it advantageous to avoid confrontation by aggressing. Run away. Aggression feeds on opportunity. Remove yourself as a target, and the pursuer will eventually tire. Run away. So yeah. I wrote it down because I really wanted to follow what everyone advises. Yeah. Scorpius advises revenge. Revenge. Pilot advises running away. Let me see. Jewel advises reason. Chiana advises outsmarting him. Yeah. Erin doesn't advise anything so much. She just, no. sort of, just sort of looks really, really, really great. Oh, hey, no speaking Rig of... No Rigel, I just realized in this episode. Yes. This is one of very, very few episodes yeah. that doesn't feature Rigel. At all. Yeah. yeah. And I think, if my memory serves, it is the last episode that doesn't feature Rigel at all Okay. when he could have featured. <laughs> I just realized that as I was saying it, wait, 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 but uh, no, 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 it's still Farscape. Anything can happen. Yes. <laughs> and there's also a little exchange here. A, a scene starts between Jewel and Darko. Jewel is also in, in the growler with him. Oh, uh, yes. Are you sure that noise means we're going to explode? What if it's just a... Softcore overload. It's like 
wants us to shut it down, but I don't know how. Not much happens here except they annoy one another or she annoys him or he is annoyed by her. And yeah, she's a little bit shifty and we find out later why. Back in John's brain, he is running. This is where it starts. After Pilot advises him to run, I suppose. Yep. He actually starts running. From his imaginary Dargo, who's yes, already he, acting a little bit. Because he still thinks that Dargo is after him. Uh, yeah. He, he jumps into the Farscape module and that's when, and that's when it starts getting interesting i love that it starts in the in the sort of fantasy world where that's the first that's that's when it first starts insane because dargo puts on a backpack rocket with osme written on the side of it yes like acme but then in australia yeah or oz <laughs> well, mm. yeah oh yeah good point yes <laughs> Uh, and yeah, there's like a little bit of blast off, and then suddenly we are now in cartoon world. It's like the Batmobile's exhaust. I love it. First, it's just a, a little fan of smoke, and then flame, which kind of like wafts more up than back. And then we have the rocket jockey, green-shirted John Crichton on his on his moped Farscape module, with just his, like in our with uh, cover art. Uh, uh, horn on it. <laughs> little honking horn. And at this point, I want to give a shout out to my very good friend and fantastic artist Claudia Schmidt who like when we were about to launch uh, So Farscape I've, I tried a bunch of different like cover art things and one of them was going to be this beautiful shot of Moya and we're going to have a very like uh, a gothic kind of font and that wasn't quite it and I sort of honed in on this episode but all the all the screen caps are a little bit like low resolution because it all came off a of video and it was very interlaced and I couldn't get a good one I was really stressing out and we were working together on a, on a book that she was writing. She's drawn the uh, the series Mire, M-Y-R-E, excellent, excellent graphic novels that I was helping her with. And she dropped what she was doing, and she drew it for me. She, yeah. she redrew Crichton the Rocket Jockey. So, yes, all credit to, uh, to Claudia Schmidt, who redrew this beautiful image of him flying around on his on his moped. On his little f- mo- module. Mo- far- module, Farscape yeah. Moped. Yeah. Mop- <laughs> mopule. No. They had a lot of trouble working out Crichton's cartoon design. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Because Scorpius already looks like a cartoon anyway, and you can Dargo... Just, Scorpius you can just make it to a caricature. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do with Crichton? Well, that's the problem, yeah. He's the, he's the most human. He is human, so you have to find a human look for him. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, Dargo looks like, yeah, a cross between mostly Yosemite Sam... And yes. a little bit of uh, the of course, of course, the hair kind of goes that way. The hair, the dark eyes, the mustaches. Yep. And there is a surprisingly large amount of Roadrunner cartoon reenactment going on yeah. in various spaces. And I can see why, you, why you'd be in two minds over this, because none of that really furthers the plot anymore. It, it, it's funny, it's, in, it's extremely well done, but it, it just basically, it's minutes and minutes long of that just the conflict that Dargo has in his mind, has in John's mind, sorry. Yeah, yeah, which is totally valid. But I've also been looking at it now as like the the gunfights and the chase sequences mm-hmm. in the previous two part of that, which is what's Infinite Possibilities. Yeah. They don't move the plot ahead. They're just spectacular and delightful to watch. Yes. And so, because, yeah, I, I agree with what you're what you're saying. Like, it doesn't feel like it advances anything, but it's spectacle and it's delight and, and, it, and it gives you pleasure. As a, as a viewer. And that's also kind of valid, is what I'm feeling now that I'm coming back yeah. to it again. Come on, man, chill, before somebody gets hurt. Well, any guesses who? Oh, right. 
Better look out! Right. Like I am gonna fall for that. John gets rudely pulled out of his fantasy by Harvey again, who goes like, "Oh no, you don't. You're not like like you're not escaping into that with me. I'm. You you will have to like face up to it. You can't just like hide away in your silly cartoons." Yes, because even in the in the cartoon where he's successfully run away from the uh, the evil wily Cardargo, he can't keep running. Eventually, he runs into a net, and now he's trapped. And that's what Scorpius is saying. Okay, pilot's advice. That's not going to keep you safe, buddy. You can't keep running away. Eventually, he's going to catch you. Which, now, I, I, I don't know if you caught that, but mm-hmm. every time that Dargo catches him, he flatlines. Oh. And that's what we're seeing on the, on the, well, on the sort of monitor squeak. flatter, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So all of these are L's. They're just losses for, uh, for Crichton. Yeah. And that's why, now, you know, now we have uh, Scorpius leaning over Crichton, peeling open its eyelids and staring in, which is a wild shot. That, yeah, it's like massive amount of uh, fisheye lensing yeah. going on there. It looks fantastic, yeah. <laughs> it really brings out Scorpius's, uh, what's call it, menacingness, I suppose, is yeah. a good word for it. I mean, he looks like a piranha right up against your, <laughs> right up against the glass. Oh, and dropping back down to the first layer, God, this sort of feels like existence. Uh-huh. Jewel is with Pilot, and she's asking for... The, I mean, what Chiana asked Dargo earlier on, like, what's still working? Do we have any way out? And Pilot says, no, there's there's no way out. This- the Growler is burning on self-destruct mode. Yep. And what's going to happen? Yeah, way we can tell it now, Pilot says it's going to explode in about an hour. Our analysis of that ship's energy signature indicates it will explode in just under an arm. Under an arm? And she goes, like, an arm? I was like, oh, I'm just estimating. He's really calm. And she asks, so are we all going to die? And Pilot says, oh, Moya and I, definitely. However, I may have a way to save you. If you go down to this and that deck and lock yourself up with enough food supplies and a radio, then you might be able to survive for long enough to get picked up, I suppose. Yeah, because apparently there's a section of Moya that he can detach. Yes, eject, jettison, yeah. cargo compartment. And that can seal itself. Yeah, I, I, was, I was sitting there thinking, go like, why don't you just starburst to a nearby planet? And I go, oh, no, wait, uh, like all the all the systems yep. are fried because of that initial pull, so that's not going to work, yeah. I really felt for Jewel here because she is, I mean, she's still a young woman, mm. just like uh, just like Tiana in her first confrontation with uh, uh, the risk of death. Yes, Tiana, however, has become a little bit more battle-hardened, and she is now <laughs> yeah. very much like... In charge, doing things, getting things done, keeping things moving. She's a, really taking a lot of the Zahn role, I suppose, in that regard. Right? Yeah. Because Zahn's gone and Jules there now. And so I sort of feel that, uh, like, or I, I, I felt that as, a, as an older brother, that once I realized that there's this kid who actually needs me to, to pay attention to them, then suddenly, like, I, I aged two years and I grew six inches it's when you it's when you're not the newest guy at, in the company anymore. It's like you're not the newest guy on the team. Anymore. Oh yeah, when they put you in charge of training a new person, then suddenly, oh yeah, your voice just drops, <laughs> <laughs> and your other docking port your, your, your mivongs just yeah. drop. Yes. So she's with Dargo, trying to figure out what to do about this uh, about this ship, They're which in- turns out to have a voice control command unit. Yeah. But it speaks ancient Luxon. What'd you say? Just something Luxon. My grandfather used to say it all the time. Hey, what are you doing? I'm not quite sure, but I think 
That is a Luxon symbol for spoken word. You can read that? Uh, which he doesn't, because he's not ancient Luxon. Now, I do... I often bristle at this idea of planetary monocultures. Yeah. Right? If this was a... I mean, if this was like an, an old Earth boat, it could have been a Viking longboat, yeah. or it could have been a Chinese vessel, or an, or an Egyptian vessel, and it could have been inscribed with all of these languages... That, that we even, have no idea about, no. Well, even the ones that are spoken today. Like, yeah. I can't speak Navajo. A bunch of people speak Navajo, no. or Finnish, for that matter. But yeah, even Latin, you know. you might, If you're Italian, you might be able to make something of it, but... Yeah, as a European, you stand a little bit of a chance. Yeah, you're going to recognize a few things. But yes, that's 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 definitely a thing. What's it saying? What? I don't know. Yeah, ancient Luxon don't speak ancient Luxon. Even because if I'm not ancient Luxon. And she goes, oh, you're not going to be ancient either. <laughs> yes, not with that attitude. I love that. <laughs> Can't help but get a little dig in. Okay, Chi and Jewel are charged with stocking up the escape or the the the, the escape pod, I guess, with supplies and John. And this was a tough scene for Ben Browder to film, even though he only had to lie back. Yeah. He had his eyes closed and he had earplugs in, but there was an awful lot of yelling, an awful lot of really loud yelling over and over and over. <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, you can't make out a word they're saying because they're just like yelling at each other through each other. Do you think I feel bad? And oh, here I can find in you. Do not do it. So what do you do? You do not. You turn on me. I shouldn't ever talk to you. That's a choice. Just shut up. It's brilliant because it it is completely incomprehensible, and they still end on the same spot. If you just shut up. They're arguing so much that they haven't even noticed that John has fallen off of the gurney. Which, yes. <laughs> which, which Dargo points out with very cartoony body language, but that's totally Dargo. It's like, uh, he's done that before. He's, he's, he's got that sort of arms crossed. Uh, excuse me. Yeah. yeah. Okay, fine. And they sort of spoon him back up, which I guess is why John next visits the spirit of Jewel in his, uh, in his mind palace. All right. Okay. All right, you go. You go. Yeah, so they load him back on the gurney. Well, hold on, hold on. Oh. We're with Head Jewel now, his imaginary version of, of Jewel. Oh, yes, because, yeah, it, it, it just took me a little while while I was watching the episode to, like, realize that, yeah, well, yeah, wait, when he's wearing the lumberjack shirt, yeah. it's still only in his head. And you, you kind of tend to forget that a little bit uh, from yes. time to time. Because we're so used to yes. John being the focus of these episodes. I'm an astronaut and I'm okay. I fly all night and I sl- And I no. slip in the coma all day. day. <laughs> yeah. Isn't she great? Yeah, I'm thrilled with our relationship. Well, Dargo and I are getting along too good these days either. Yeah. He put you in a coma. I gotta figure out what to do about that. How hard's that? You're gonna die. And he asks her for advice while he's crawling back into bed for another nap. And mm. she says, You once said to me that our species might be related. If that's true, you have to have a measure of intelligence about you. Which means you can reason. So you must have some brains. Yeah. So reason with him. Because conflicts with barbarians. He's been paying attention to Jewel. Like, if this is his yeah. imaginary version of Jewel, I think he's spot on. I think it's a little bit of a shame that Jewel doesn't get a cartoon version, does she? No, she no, doesn't. She doesn't. That no. is a shame. Yeah. 
And they could have had really fun. I wonder if she'd be like Ariel or like Ursula oh. from uh, Little Mermaid. Yeah, you know, because she's got the sort of the the the, yeah, the yeah. multiple widows' peaks. I see what you mean. Yeah. That could be a fun look. But when he goes to sleep, the actual jewel goes to confess to Dargo, despite Chiana telling her again and again, "Don't do this. He's got enough on his mind. Don't tell him. I yeah. don't care what you what you think." And she confesses that she thinks it's her fault. She was in there earlier. But he already knows, because he found a lock of her hair in the controls. And he has another angry conniption. Why were you ruining this? Yeah. Are you going to kill me? I've already hurt Crichton today. That's enough. I didn't mean to cause any of well, What did you mean? I mean, what were you doing in here? And she goes like, well, I was like trying to get a little closer to you. Maybe I could help you. Maybe I could share this with you. What did you think about this? I thought that was very touching. I mean, she's clearly trying to uh, not make amends. It's not like, but but find inroads to the rest of the crew. She's trying to find her place, yeah. and she's trying to do that by connecting to the various people on various levels. I know that I can be difficult. <sighs> that no one wants to spend time with me. You're someone who I like, and I know. That since the problems with your son and Chiana, that you've preferred to be alone in here. I just thought, if this is so important to you, then maybe, maybe if I learn a little about it, we might have something to talk about. She was clearly trying to do that for, uh, with Dargo here. Showing and an interest in something they like. Yeah. yeah. I, I really like that. And the way that she expresses it, as well, that she makes it clear to Dargo that she wanted his respect. That was the only thing that she she wanted. She didn't want to ruin anything for him or gain anything for herself. She likes him. Yeah. And she wanted him to respect her. And, I mean, she's a very intelligent woman, so, I mean, there's been a good chance for her to be able to figure something out about the ship, so... Yeah, I'm sure her sort of academic ego wouldn't have minded being able to show off. Exactly. Speaking of showing off... Well... Okay, so I'll have to admit here, like, John saunters through the corridors, and we see a shot from behind of Elady. And I Behind first... is the word. Wow. And I first thought it was Chana. Oh, interesting. Because of the paleness of the skin, but it's just a yeah. battle. At first I thought it was Chana. Because it's a cartoon figure, so, right. yeah, who's um, it going to be? Exactly. But no, it turns out to be Aaron. She looked great. Huh. Is this the best you could do? I, uh... I miss you. Obviously. Where are my clothes? Wearing almost nothing. Well, she's got this sort of... It's a gi, I suppose, in peacekeeper colours. It's, 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 it's clearly... Oh, mold, yes, it's the, clearly the, the black and red. Yeah, on a, on, a, on a peacekeeper training outfit, I suppose. And also as a sort of robe, I guess, a gi kind of yes. robe-ish. Apparently one of the lead animators on this was Japanese and or, or and, and, and thus trained in the in the Japanese style. So there is yeah. kind of anime style to the uh, the mouth movements. It certainly. has that, yes. She uh, They have a, a brief little talk, like, where you've been and all that. She actually tells him, like, don't go there. Don't go thinking about yourself and me. You and that other guy, the other me, you're not... Uh... Mm, don't do it to yourself, John. Oh, yes, your, uh, your counterpart, John, yes. yeah, because she doesn't have anything for him. Like, she's not, she's not Aaron, 
No, she's, she's just Aaron in his mind. Green but tea's again, imagination. It would still be something that he knows Aaron would probably say. And but she does criticize him a little bit about his choice of uh, look for her, hmm. which he goes, oh, all right, then I'll fix it. And he actually draws out a six-foot pencil. He grabs a giant, and it's it's not a cartoon, it's a physical prop. No, no, prop. I can tell. You can tell that it's very much a physical prop, uh, which he uses to erase. So redraws her as Jessica Rabbit. I'm not Dad. I'm just drawn that way. <laughs> yeah. She goes like, oh, well, can't we do Marilyn Monroe, Cleopatra? Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Honey, that's wrong, Shakespeare. Uh, Alice. The- there's no place like home. Margaret Thatcher? Just say no. <laughs> Nancy Reagan. Nancy Reagan, close Just enough. Just say no. S- same difference. So I don't know why it came to this, but Claudia Black said that there were there were a few of these looks that were that they had that they really had their their heart set on before yeah. before going into this. And like anybody that had been consulted, everybody wanted Jessica Rabbit, including her. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> from uh, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But like apparently for for some of the rest, David Kemper sent an email blast to literally everyone who worked on Farscape, saying, "Okay, just name some characters that a cartoon Aaron could appear as. Quick, go. We've got twenty minutes." <laughs> Okay. They needed 20 of them. And yeah, that included apparently like Dorothy Gale and Cleopatra from The Wrong Shakespeare and Nancy Reagan from the Just Say No anti-drug campaign that, spoiler alert, did not work and was an utter waste of taxpayer money and law enforcement effort and lots and lots of people's lives. We would like to congratulate drugs on winning the war on drugs. (laughs) I don't necessarily know that I'd like to go that far, but we could, for example, congratulate Portugal. Oh, yes. Right? On their successful, significant reduction of drug addiction and abuse. Because they treat it as a social problem, not as a criminal problem. As a public health issue, which is what it is. Uh, I do like the final version that they settle on for uh, a cartoon errand. There's a good boy. Thank you. How is it? How is that different from her original? Okay, she's got her, she's got her hair pulled back. Like, no, she had her hair pulled back. And her waist, well, well, okay, her waist still is tiny as well. Uh, it's more of a top rather than a gi, but it does look. Uh, oh yes, this is her. This is her too short jacket buttoned between yes. the boobs. But it is a yeah, it, it is a more martial look, and it's a look that she's definitely had. Absolutely, she's rocked that too small jacket with one. Meanwhile, in John's okay, mind, yeah. uh, we have more <laughs> cartoon shenanigans. Wiley Caldargo uh, painting wormholes on rocks and the the standard shenanigans of John being able to fly through them and Dargo having to run into them. Yeah, and this time he's actually able to run through the wormhole until he gets splattered against the front of the USS Enterprise. No bloody A, B, C, or E. Oh, do you know what I absolutely loved? When it goes into warp, yeah. it's the it's a sort of warp effect from uh, Star Trek the motion picture. Seen once, never again, with okay. those specific streaks. Oh, okay. It, it uh, warmed my little pick, Trekkie they had, heart. They had to pick something. In the end of the chase, Dargo knocks John out again, and he rewakes in on layer two by, <laughs> I thought this was amazing, <laughs> Harvey in scrubs, uh, basically <laughs> shocking Dr. him yes, with the, the heart cattle prods to bring him back out of it again. And then a bucket of water, so we get... 
again, f- mm. there's a lot of cartoonesque overtones even in the in live action scenes. I know he's yeah. covered in water and he has to shake out his head and spit he, it out. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But even here, as funny and wild as it is, Harvey is saying, okay, reason didn't work either. Because he did try it. He did try and talk things out with Dargo in the cartoon world, so that's not going to work either. Dargo is trying to figure out what goes on. He works together with Pilot. Pilot manages to modify some of the uh, translator microbes, which he re-injects Dargo with. Because apparently, with what little information they have of ancient uh, Luxon, and Dargo is very helpful. He says, okay, well, if you can't find, try anti-Luxon propaganda as a source for finding, like, ancient Luxon words. Card Dargo, Moyer's dead language library is in complete. My access to it at this even time, even more so. Of speeches, you could even try Can some anti-Luxon propaganda. Fragments I, of words. Pilot, that ship is trying to kill us. I need to know why it speaks Luxon. The DRDs can prepare a supplemental good, translated microjection with any data I am. And he gets, hey everyone, get your booster shots. Yeah. He gets a, a Babel Bug booster shot. Oh, my God. <laughs> I wish we were still naming episodes ourselves instead of taking it from quotes, because that would, that would be it. He gets oh. a Babel Bug booster shot, and then he sits down, and he listens to this, uh, uh, this again. And I loved how some of the words just start to make sense. Yes. <laughs> That's a little bit how they do that scene in Thirteenth uh, Warrior. Thirteenth Warrior, yes. yes, with Ibn. Yeah, where he's like on his like long journey with uh, a couple of Norsemen. Uh, he himself being Arabic. Yes, and like at first it's just like I, I don't know did they, what did they use? Did he actually use like I know uh, that at least Nordish one of the actors it? is Norwegian, so they might have been using modern Norwegian, but I don't right. know for sure. I just know that the actor who played Bulvai is. Uh, but is as it, but as the uh, as the scenes progress and the campfire, more and more words in the sentences become. Uh, he hears the word like, horse and he blah, hears blah, the blah 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 Jarvik's horse and like yes, yeah. and he starts like it starts coming to that very well done, and that's kind of what happens here. As that's well. how people used to learn languages. Well, you go with a yeah. trading caravan, you pay attention around the fire, and eventually, like you hear some words. I've been noticing that with, I mean, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and we have friends in Ukraine, and they uh, they send us like updates, which includes videos that are sometimes untranslated, but just like hearing someone repeating a word in a sentence makes it clear what they're talking about. Like then you can identify it, like mm. bull for for pain, I think that was or suffering. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, he's able to identify some words, namely that this ship needs I, essentially a friend or foe to identifier. Yeah. yeah. It turns out it's a Luxon ship, and you have to basically be able to identify yourself as a Luxon, otherwise it's going to blow up. It's kind of some sort of self-destruct mechanism which got activated, and yeah, only a Luxon is allowed to turn it off. And you can identify yourself as Luxon by a two-factor authentication system <laughs> in which you get to ha- you have to present some ancient sacred text, which is very rare and unavailable. I can't remember what the second one was. Uh, an Oricans prayer. Ooh, help me out here. An Arakan's prayer amulet. This is hopeless. Uh, thank you. And Magic of editing. Or a Qualter Blade. <gasps> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ah, we had one of those. And what do we do with it? We tossed it. Don't toss your sword. Okay, so now we have to... <sighs> recover the sword. Yeah, I threw it sort of over here, says it's, Darko. It's going to be down mostly but it could be on that ledge or it might have fallen all the way down into the dreck 
uh, into the, the to the bottom of the shaft, which we then learn that the DRDs regularly dump effluent and other stuff in. That doesn't sound like a good that doesn't sound that doesn't sound like anything that anyone would do, especially but. not on a living ship. You know, there's like holding tanks for that kind of stuff. You know? Oh well, I guess I guess he says they they sort of place it there on and mostly on the catwalks. Yeah. But catwalks aren't a great place to store uh, no, a, a, a construction not it, leftovers. No, especially not if like the the ship occasionally inertial dampers are, tend to fail and stuff like that. So yeah, absolutely. They divide the work fairly. Chiana and Dargo each take one of these catwalks where they have to yes. struggle to avoid all the junk there, while the princess is wading through gunk. Yes. Why do I get the cellar and you guys get the catwalk? <sighs> This place smells horrible. Guaranteed by your arrival. Suck now. Tiana. What do you want, Dargo? What, I should bottle it up and become a Luxon? Well, showing a little bit of self-restraint wouldn't hurt. Any luck? Just crap and dren. I wonder if these are the same sort of... It looks a little bit granules blue and sparkly, like the, the orbs. Yeah, the orbs, like in, yes. in the bathtub. That's kind of what it looks like. I was thinking the same thing. It, it, it looks very much like that kind of thing. Apparently it doesn't smell nearly as delightful. And this is when we discover, hey, uh, pilot, is there anything else living down here? Well, apparently Moya has intestinal flora. A panoply oh, fauna, of parasites. Fauna, fauna yeah. yes. <laughs> Intestinal f- fauna. fauna yeah. <laughs> pilot? Yes, Jalushko. Are there other things living in Moya? With us? A panoply of harmless parasites, many serving symbiotic functions. Perhaps you're hearing the Hodian trillback swarm. <laughs> Do these Hodian bat things leave droppings? Extensively, their effluvium spreads along Moya's inner hull and helps seal microscopic cracks. That's right. You're walking through it. And you're hip deep in it. Great. Great. Oh, great. I'd be less worried about being hip-deep in animal poo and more about, oh, so this is a sealant? Oh, yeah, very good point. That's not good for me or... Oh, maybe only if it only reacts with Leviathan skin. Oh, that's possible. Yeah. Hey, princess, watch out. Watch out for what? Chiana says to uh, look out for some junk. Now, how did you follow this bit that happens here? Uh, which part are we talking about? Are we talking... Okay, okay, so Chiana says... Watch out for the junk. And that's when Jules says that there's nothing here until some junk that the Dargo knocked over does indeed fall down. Yes. Almost hitting her. And she blames Chiana. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I've, I, was, weird, I right? was trying to follow that and I don't know what was meant to happen there. Yeah. It's like I've seen yeah stuff fall down and people warning them from it. And I mean, it almost seems like Chiana is, I won't say offended, but like, Taken back a little, like oh, I didn't mean it like that, and like yeah. now you th- now she thinks that I threw something down, and that was never intended that way. But I'm not sure how it was intended. You little slut! No, no, it wasn't Chiana, it was me. Then how did she know? I don't know. It just made sense. I'm also not sure why Chiana is now in John's head because he can't hear any of this. But no. He asked her for advice because running away didn't help. Reasoning with him didn't help. I'm not going to take revenge because that's not me. And she says, then you outsmart him because that's how she survives. Yeah. They always make it more complicated than what they need to. Use it against them. That's good. 
more fantastic Chuck Chuck Jones. Prunium uh, shows up. Which oh used, yes, used to you blow noticed. Up. Yes, I of course I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, proto nuclear frunium, which is an explosive, which is like green and glowing like cartoon uranium. Yeah, cartoon Dargo buries it on the on the road, and he's got an X marks the spot and some free beer and pizza. Yes, I love that the beer says beer. Beer, yeah, beer, yes, as in like the, uh, well, among other countries, the Dutch spelling. Yeah, or German or South yeah. African, Afrikaans, yeah. probably the same. Dargo lights the fuse, but John lights Dargo's beard, which causes him to explode. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Jewel gets to have her moment of triumph. Where uh, she gets to... Oh, no, this is where she gets to discover what she's waiting in. And I, <laughs> I know. I, and I love how Pilot just, like, covers his face with all four of with his... With all four, four claws when <laughs> yeah. she screamed. It's yeah. so great. <laughs> I think he's, like, covering his ears if he's got those as well. Oh, that might be it, yes. So we get a, another scene which I kind of enjoyed that I managed to spot that where Dargo is trying to shoot John with a huge cannon and I swear that's taken from uh, Titan A right yes where uh, Preed and ew, it's just Preed that? who's trying to shoot at a cricket while he's standing guard duty or supposed to be standing guard duty <laughs> and the cricket in this case John Johnny Cricket hey uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort of teasing him by jumping in front of his uh, uh, his digital sights. Every time that the cannon fires, it jumps back a little bit further until it jumps over the edge and Crichton casually walks off and Dargo plummets to his doom. But undaunted, he leaps off, swan dives down oh, and... We get, yeah, we get a whole Tex Avery parachute scene where, like, uh, it's like the sick note. I don't know if you know that song. From I the, don't. It's basically... Irish guy, Paddy, tries to explain why he's not at work today, and it's because he had to hold up to a barrel. He put the bricks in the barrel, then the barrel started falling down. He banged into the barrel. He hit the, his head to the pulley. The bricks fell out of the barrel, etc. It's like, it's, it's a cartoonesque description of a workplace incident. Okay. So it's, it's, like, it's like a reverse, there's a hole in my bucket. Pretty much, yes. Uh, now, and this you is are like for- an avid skydiver of yeah. some experience. How did you feel about, you know, the depiction of uh, parachuting and skydiving in this instance? Oh, I, it? I just like, in, I don't think, <laughs> I don't even think about it. When that You're comes, not when, even going to try. No, I'm not even going to try. Okay, like, that's it, fair. Because <laughs> this is just like the very definition of hijinks, which... Exactly. It's, car- it's not- cartoonesque, yes. Uh, the last person, last time John tries to escape, he actually has outwitted Dargo by like getting him sucked into the wormhole because he had to activate the swirls. But when this time, when he tries to go through himself, he slams into the wall and wakes up in flames back on level two. Yeah. Where he's now being chased by an actual Dargo. He says, like, I think my leg is broken. And he's lying there in his in his plate with, an, like, an actual broken leg. Mm. This was just a crash down from the from the the, the, the zany cartoon to the realization. Yep. Like he's still in the process of dying. He's in he's in a coma, and this is his mind shutting down. Did you think you could make up all the rules? Keep hiding behind a cartoon forever. Dargo attacks him, and now he is actually almost entirely flatlining on the on the monitor. Yeah. Uh, Harvey has a lovely little eulogy for him and uh, himself. <laughs> He's dressed like a like a sort of Western undertaker yeah. standing next to this gigantic tombstone that says, R.I.P., here lies John Crichton, uh, human astronaut. astronaut. Sorry, I'm sorry. It says astronaut. Oh. 
I'm dyslexic. I didn't spot that. <laughs> a natural-born loser. loser. He holds quite a charming eulogy, which... Mostly for himself. Yeah. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to pay our final respects and to say farewell to our dear friend, Commander John Crichton. A schmuck. Mule-headed, reckless, and probably brain-dead before I met him. Alas, his death is mine also. Because uh, John's he's taken him to, with him. Yeah, he's going to die as well. Uh, it's very confronting for John because he realizes that his early rejection of, of Scorpius, he's failed at every, every other alternative. Scorpius told him, like, the only way to survive is revenge. And John rejected him immediately, tried all these other things, running away, reasoning, outsmarting him. Mm -hmm. None of them worked. He's worse off than ever before. So revenge it is. These primitive animal urges you think you must resist, they're not relics from an uncivilized time. They are in you for a reason. Because you need them. And this time it goes full on new friend Roger Rabbit with, like, cartoonesque. Slapstick, slapstick, but humor, in the but, sort of, but in a cartoonesque way. It's not live even action. Yeah, it's not even realistic. The banana peel is clearly fake. So is the bear trap. Uh, he gets his foot stuck in like a, I in suppose a first in a, a laundry basket or a bucket, and then a and then a banana peel. I loved this. Because there is a moment where he takes two more steps. Dargo is walking across this catwalk, first into the bucket, then the banana peel, and then... He makes this expression, and you said, oh, I was wondering when they're going to get to that. Yeah. Because that expression says bear trap. Yes. Before you even see the bear trap. <laughs> Apparently, like David Kemper wrote about this, that we, we used to occasionally like show these bits of footage to people and then freeze it there. And then what do you think has happened? Yeah, stepped in a bear trap. And then he said, go, is amazing. <laughs> Yes. Through these layers of latex, his eyes say bear trap. <laughs> yes, 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 they do. <laughs> Where he arrives behind John, who's sitting in a chair, smoking a comical cigar. Cigar, yeah, it's like ridiculous. But as Jewel is coming to grips with the fact that she's walking through, hey, guano. nature, yeah. nature, nature, that's it, everybody, everybody guanos. She gets a panic attack, she tries to run away, she stumbles down, oh, she falls down even further. I thought it was going to be a trash compactor scene, since they were doing so many different uh, uh, references to other uh, sci-fi shows and other things. The but trash no. compactor from Star Wars? Oh, I've got to tell you something, Kay, I've got to tell you something that's going to blow your mind. I do another podcast with my friend Greg yes. called uh, uh, Rebel Air, where he's showing me Star Wars Rebels, and one of our listeners there has told me something amazing. That creature in the trash compactor scene in Star Wars, mm -hmm. uh, the original Star Wars, features in uh, a, a, a short story collection, an anthology of short stories, yes. which is canon, which is told from the perspective of that creature. That creature called a Diagnaga, or Dianaga, I think. Uh -huh. And in this short story, that's is a sentient but non-verbal species of force users. And this creature, yeah. while our heroes are wading through it, detected the presence of another force user. And it only wraps its tentacle around Luke's leg because it wants to make a connection oh. with someone to communicate with him so that they can escape together. Yeah, That's I the only reason that it pulls him under. Okay, that's... But he's too stupid, you see. Too real and yeah. too inept in the force and... Uh, I mean, I always wondered, like, how does that get on the desk? They must have, like, intentionally put it there. That's the only way you get something like that on a 
I mean, what's the weirdest animal that is stowed away on a ship? We all know about like ship rats and everything, but I'm sure that there's some ship out there that uh, had just had a full-grown kangaroo that nobody knew about. Uh, and I then don't you know discover about the last it. Part, but yes. And why is there a kangaroo on this ship? <laughs> yeah, man. I just showed up one day. They blow in on the easterlies. Yeah, let's drop bears. <laughs> anyway. But after she drops, she finds the sword, the cult blade. Much there's- Success, much elatement, there's a little bit confusion of where do we put it? Like, I have it, I have it, what am I going to do with it? I love this scene as as she and Dargo are running through. They keep throwing it up in the air behind them for each other to catch. Catch, Yes. It's so cool. And, oh, it turns out, oh, there's a slot for you to stick your thingy in, Dargo. Yes. Stick your thingy in the the ship slot. Now the the growler has a shift stick. And nothing happens. Like, she even comments on it. This is kind of like the sound you hear before you die. Or after. And while we're there, Mind Dargo is walking up this catwalk again and kicking aside the various traps and going straight for Crichton sitting in his chair. But oops. No, it turns out to be a dummy. Uh, with a fake bit of, like, TNT in cig- his... Instead of a cigar. Which blows Dargo up, gets his dreadlocks standing up nice and... Uh, Theatrical, but the John is still flatlined. Yes, Harvey is there to congratulate John, but John says, "Yeah, this is this doesn't is feel nothing. Good, no, this like this is revenge, but revenge doesn't do it for me. Even though he's taken revenge, and like it's such a wild image, Dargo with his with his face all all schmutzed and uh, his his tentkas standing up." There's a fun little reference when one of them falls off. Mm. That's in the second blooper reel, which you are not, unfortunately, allowed to see just yes. yet. There's a moment where John and, and Crichton have, John and Dargo have a significant, like, altercation. And while they're sort of roughhousing, one of the tentacles comes loose in John's oh. hand. And says, uh, you lost oh, something, buddy. Crap. <laughs> Sorry, he dropped something. <laughs> Spewing. <laughs> Yes, we, we get numerous shots of the tombstone. They're very proud of that prop, I noticed. <laughs> it's a good prop. Yeah, it is. <laughs> God, can you imagine having that in your home as a, as a sort of keepsake? That would be funny, yes. <laughs> Apparently all the actors got uh, like an animation cell of their character oh, to take home with them. Well, yeah, that would be amazing. Prized possessions. Let's see, what do we have? It's the final confrontation between John and Harvey because John tried it Harvey's way. And it's still not, it's still not good enough. Even though, no. even though Harvey says that, oh, you've achieved everything. No, this isn't it. This isn't, this isn't my way, because he has a different reason to live. Because that's how we how we started. Harvey asked him, oh, "What are your reasons to live?" And this was something that Ben Browder actually helped uh, adjust in the script. Because originally there was a bunch of reasons in there, and he felt that one was missing, which was Aaron. Mm. I'd like to thank the Academy. For this beautiful Oscar. No, shut up, John. It's not presentation night. You ought to be thanking me. For what? For saving your life. Sorry, Har. No joy. I gave it a shot. You could have been right. You were wrong. No, John. Revenge. For you, it's a way of life. For me, it's not the answer. I love Aaron. His whole reason for getting up in the morning is he loves Aaron. Even this John, who knows that she's gallivanting around the universe with some other version of him. With other John, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's going to be some interesting tension we'll see in future episodes. Really? Huh. Well, 
I can't imagine not. If you say so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Pokerface.jpg. And as we come back from John's, once again, valid rejection of Scorpius, we're back in the growler with Dargo and Chiana. We're having a little celebrationary hug. Because it has revealed that it's accepted him. It asks him his name and he identifies his... Oh, entire lineage. Yeah, cool, Going right? back to his great-grandfather, I believe. Yeah. Who was also called Cal... Car Dargo, Car and Dargo, as sorry. Anthony Simcoe originally said it, Car Dargo Tray Table. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such a card. And yeah, even as they're celebrating, like she kisses his cheek, he's really happy. And we see the ship displaying new abilities. The canopy goes transparent, and we can see in through yeah. the canopy. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> I did it. Hey, guys. And what we have here is suddenly John wearing a toga, or at least one of Moya Skinflakes, which I suppose it is. <laughs> it's a good look for him. It is. And he's just like, hey, what's going on? And I think something's on fire. And what's yeah. this? Yeah. Oh, hey, the lights are out. Shouldn't we? And then he falls back. Very, and this is the last bit of cartoonesque, because he just does the straight plank falling over backwards. I know. But this isn't even in his mind palace anymore. This I is know. the real world. So he just banged his head real... Like, when someone faints, they fall forward. Because that's how bodies move. That's how, how legs buckle, yes. right? You fall forward. In, 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 in defense, he's standing on a ramp. So it's worse, you're saying. He hits his head even worse. Yes. So oh, no, the, totally. <laughs> now that he has bleeding in his brain and yeah. he's slightly recovered, he has an opportunity for an even worse concussion. Yes. Great, great, no, great, absolutely. great, great. <laughs> hey, guys. The lights are all out. Maybe we should call someone. <laughs> now but, that the crisis is averted, peace returns to Moya. I love the scene between uh, Jewel and Chana, who seem to be a little bit friendlier towards each other. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that their relationship didn't like really evolve. Chiana gave, gave really harsh advice, which Jewel ignored. Mm. But I think she kind of respects that. I think she kind of respects people bucking advice and succeeding anyway, because that's her. Yeah. So Jules sort of showing off, like, I ignored your advice and I did what I was going to do anyway. And it worked out because Dargo... Uh, d -d 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Dargo's going to take me out on the first ride with uh, in, the, in the Growler. And she's not... I could have imagined Chi being furious, but she's not. No, she's... She likes that in someone. Yeah. And she's like, they're having this cute little argument about this p uh, purple stuff and how it really stains uh, <laughs> Jules' arm. She looks like she's been having intimate relationships with a cow in the in the veterinary sense of the word. <laughs> it reminded me of, uh, what's his name in The Abyss, the uh, James Cameron film, yeah. where early on in the film, like, he reaches into a chemical toilet. And for the rest <laughs> yeah. of the episode, he has a blue hand in, yeah. in the film. And I love how Chani goes, well, at least it doesn't smell bad. And Jules looks in, what do you mean? It yes, smells bad. Oh, sorry. I mean, lucky for me, we don't share quarters. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I interpreted that in first as like, uh, as just a species difference. You know, that oh, like Chana yeah. doesn't smell it or doesn't smell unpleasant to her, whereas to Jewel it smells horrible, which seems to make sense. Yes, <laughs> yes. Because Nabari, we've already seen, have very different senses than everyone else. You saw yeah. that when Moya was split and the light didn't bother her, but the sound sure did. Yeah. I thought you said this red light hurt your head. <laughs> It does. Well, not to me. 
And then John having put on a spacesuit and having a bit of a sulk outside on Moya. Yeah, because the the danger or uh, Dargo's attack hasn't been resolved, and Dargo's the one who reaches out to him on the on the comms, like Crichton. I know you're out there. If you won't talk to me, can you at least just listen? And he begs for forgiveness, and he he's he's he opens up again. Like, he, he admits his weaknesses. But he does something very, very Luxon, which has been a through line for this episode, and he says... Aggression against an ally entitles retribution. You know, you want to take a swing at me? Mm. That's how Luxons do things. I, you know, he's, Yeah, punch it out and good friends again. Yeah, like, it's something that he would, he would want. And it's just beautiful, because John's sitting out on, on Moya's skin, looking out at the stars in his spacesuit, and uh, Dargo's sitting alone in one of the portals and and i think it's kind of cool that how john then floats down to come look at darko and darko doesn't notice that and that darko thinks he's still talking just on the radio but john is actually there with him even though they're separated by the glass and he's in his spacesuit on the outside but john becomes very reassuring and uh, what's the word forgiving i suppose towards darko that's it because that's john's solution yeah Harvey said revenge Pilot said run away uh, Chiana said outsmart him Jules said reason with him John doesn't do any of those things He forgives him There is nothing That would ever make me take revenge on you And when Dargo asks him about like Okay so what did you see when you were Dead basically I couldn't possibly explain it to you. And it's so cool because I can imagine that to Dargo it comes off as a bit like, oh, it's like you wouldn't understand. But no, this is there is so much cultural baggage. It exactly. Would take, it would take hours of explaining and it would still not make any sense to him. Because yeah. it, you have to have grown up with Saturday morning cartoons. Yes, otherwise you would not be able to grasp that. To understand why that matters and why that makes sense and how that's a, a way to express complex ideas and deal with violence in a way that you can handle, because that's that's part of what those cartoons do. Like, they show us this, this slapstick violence, and they help us to sort of understand harm in a way that's safe, because it's funny. Yeah, <sighs> and even then, he looks back over his shoulder, and he sees, instead of the starscape outside, he sees this asteroid-ish type landscape that all those uh, cartoon hijinks took place on. Oh, yes, and, very good. And the ships were, uh, yeah... And the, they put their hands up against that. I mean, it's not even glass, I don't think. Like, this sort of electrical crackle. Oh, yeah. Like, it's a, it's, a, it's a force field, and there's nothing you could do that would make me want to take revenge. Yeah. What a wonderful sort of gift and lesson to give. Right? Because, I mean, uh, Dargo is an emotionally mature person, but he has a lot to, to learn as well. And Crichton very specifically saying... There's no harm that you can do to me that I won't that I won't forgive. Like that's a beautiful thing to end on. And normally you would press a button here, but I think we have to have a different sound effect for this one. I've only got the four, and we've used two already. That's that's what I said. Like normally the one we not usually now push is like not the right sound. And I notice how they how they kind of use it, the water, and then it cuts <laughs> off into into the regular. <laughs> yeah. And it does not end with that. That that's all, folks. But you kind of. I know. I was waiting for it, and it didn't happen. <laughs> Oh no, we gotta have to I love it yes. too much, I love it too much She gives me a woody <laughs> She gives you the willies Oh, 
I want to know. You got a lot to pick one. Oh, I've, that's I've got several written down. Hit me, hit me. Okay, my first. Let's get like top four. Okay, I mean, the one that I wrote down in the first few minutes was already uh, cartoon Harvey. Like the way he looks, that was just like I. I had no idea it was going to go this far uh, overboard, and I thought it was just like one of those little moment things where. You know, like stuff him in the dumpster oh, yeah. or doing other things in in in, in his mind's eye. But no, no, that went. It a went whole full tilt. Yeah. Let's see what else do I got. I mean, pilot. I love oh, how pilot looked. Yeah, pilot looked so great in this episode, and also the the, the little face paw thing that he does with his claws. <laughs> oh yeah, and in Crichton's mind palace, he he uh, Crichton tells him, "You're very wise." I don't get out much, so I read. read. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's three. Uh, What's number two? Let's see. I mean, I've, I've got this written down, and I'm trying to figure I out what I... I just four out of I a said, hat, like, so. I, I have John Space. John Space, I've got here. Well, he's out in space, isn't he? I know. I'm not quite sure. Have what... you finally come around to John floating in space being actually a cool-looking effect it did on look the very, It did look very good this time. Right? Yeah, it, it did look very good. I, I'll, I'll say maybe that's why I wrote it down like that. Because he, he, he right. the way he's floating outside. The, no, that is, in fact, what I, what I meant with John Space. Oh, uh, I'm glad. It's like how he's, uh, the, yeah, that looked very good, how he was like cl- kind of climbing down along the window and floating around. Still no tether that I could see, but yeah, maybe yeah. Pilot was keeping an eye on him. There might have been a few DRDs off screen that we didn't see. <laughs> Ready to harpoon him through the ankle if he needed to be real yeah, back Yeah, there you go. Also, number one, though. Oh, well, yeah, oh, last, yeah. I'm not sure if that, like, no, the, the fourth one. I'm not sure. I'll tell you which one the actual number one is going to be later. I, th- I would say Aaron, uh, Aaron's cartoon depiction. Oh. I loved her, her sassiness. And it was a little bit genie-esque, as in he played by... Uh, oh, I Dream of Genie. No, no, no. I meant more like uh, from uh, Aladdin uh, as Robin Williams with the, trans- oh, the yes. transformation sequence where he goes through like a whole bunch of different uh, <laughs> characters. That's, that's what that reminded me of most. Cosmic wisdom in an itty bitty living space. Right. And then doing all these imp- impersonations of people and then the animators having to roll with that. Because that's what they did for that show. They, he was just standing in the booth going, doing Robin Williams. Yeah. Uh, and then they just went like, okay, um, yeah, we can animate that. That's... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it like the, the it actually has to go to pilot. Yes. yes. Oh, God, his little is it covering his eyes with his claws. But also so how cute. he looked and how expressive he was. That's like yeah. not just that, but yeah, getting those nice close ups on his on his face, the sort of red uplighting of alert and his like his real sort of wisdom and and patience as he's explaining. Yeah, we're. This is dire straits. We're going to die, and I'm going to take care of you. Yeah, well, I'm going to do what I can for you. Willies. Oh, that's going to be very difficult. Uh, you don't have to spare anyone's feelings. Everybody knows it was a silly episode. And some of the props, yeah, like the banana peel or the Oh, or but, the that, but, that, but that was intended to, to look. That, yes, that's exactly. That's the whole point. So, I mean, if it didn't work for you, that's totally fine. No. It doesn't have to work for everyone. Ooh. I think that yeah, some of the cartoon, epi- the, the 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 Wiley Coyote stuff went on a little bit too long. It's like it's, it seemed like a bit filler esque. But we share a willy in this regard. Unconventional move, but that's my willy as well. Not every moment of and like Chuck Jones's uh, 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 slapstick comedy is brilliant, and they had like they had people working on here who had worked on like Animaniacs and a consulting artist who was well. I, I struggle to, to to name all the credits that I saw in the in the book, but it's brilliant. And yet, also, 
you come into Farscape with other expectations, and it's great to have them dashed, but they're still there. Yeah, still. I, I didn't, it didn't bother me as being un-Farscape-esque. I would have more put it down to a matter of pacing uh, and choice rather than being like, oh, this is so out of tune with Farscape, but like, I can't abide by it. It, that, it didn't feel like that at all. It was more like certain bits of the, the cartoon animation. Was, it was, yeah, it, it maybe went on a little bit too long. The bit with the cannon and the parachute... Right, there was, yeah. it, was, it was over and over again. And I, I wonder if they'd done it like one more round, that it would have done that thing where it, it becomes unfunny and, and then, then it it's unfunniness. Funny. Yes, it becomes funny so... again. Yeah, maybe. And okay, so you're Woody. The music. Oh? Guy Gross put his heart and soul into, into all of this, you know, the, 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 the sort of uh, Looney Tunes, bongos and xylophones and blah, 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 and all of these, all of these little sound effects. They all fit. There was a through line of music, like uh, the way he was talking about it in the, in the interviews. Normally he comes out of a recording session for an episode of Farscape and is on 10, sometimes 20 minutes worth of music, as in music to cover 10 yeah. or 20. And he'd come out of days a whole day of, of, of recording with like 45 seconds because that's how how close his attention to detail was for uh-huh. this score, which is why he won an award from the, uh, uh, it was like the Australian Guild uh, of Composers. I'm, I'm saying it wrong, but like right. score, you know, uh, yeah. uh, television scores for uh, excellence in animation scoring. Oh. How did this bu- uh, episode work out budget-wise? Nobody seems to want to talk about that. So I can only imagine it was an absolute disaster. It was an absolute, a huge cost center that cost a fortune in the middle of a season that has not been cheap. It was a thrill ride. It's like it really put the fun into fun fills. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that, 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 that's the story so Farscape. Please join us in two weeks' time for episode 317 with The Choice, Ooh. in which Aaron goes on a voyage of emotional discovery following John's death. So they're still not bringing the crews together. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. But, hey, maybe this will be another fun one. I mean, she's oh. just dealing with John's death. Yeah. She might and, be, you know... And her mother might show up. It might be even more cartoony. Yeah, totally. I, I expect that they're really going to go they're that gonna way. They're going to have a lot of fun with it, I'm <laughs> sure. And thank you for joining us on this fun-filled thrill ride through Farscape. Uh, you can hit us up on sofarscape.com slash links, where you can submit your own synopses. And gosh, you came out in droves for this one, didn't you? I'm very proud of you. Support us on the on the Patreon or suggest new fanfics. We're going to be reading some more fanfics next week. Looking forward to that. See you next week as we delve into the Tales of the Uncharted Territory and for now I'm Kaki I'm Kay so, so far escape so, so good. good that's all folks <laughs> <laughs>